James chapter 4 this morning, James chapter 4. We've been looking at hindrances to prayer. And the thought has been that the enemy wants to disrupt the, ba- the, the supply line between us and our Lord and to put us in a place where we can't draw uh, the precious support and supply that we need from heaven. And all armies, good and bad, have known that. Mao Zedong said this. He says, if a conventional army facing guerrillas can maintain communications, she would be able at will to concentrate powerful forces speedily at strategic points to engage our organized units in decisive battles severing her supply lines, destroying her lifeline, right? So he knew that if he could sever the supply lines, uh, he could destroy the lifeline of an army, and that's the way it is. And Satan knows that if he can sever your supply line between, between you and heaven, he can uh, destroy your lifeline. Christianity becomes uh, something that really doesn't count. It becomes something that's, you know, foolishness. It becomes something that really doesn't work for you once he severs your supply lines. Now, there are many ways that he can sever your supply lines, and we've looked at some of them. Uh, we've looked at the fact that sin will always sever the supply between you and God. Sin is going to hinder your prayer life. It's going to break your prayer life. Uh, we've looked at the, the, uh, the fact that unrighted wrongs between you and others is going to sever your per- supply line. Uh, not working at your marriage is going to sever your supply line. Uh, a lack of forgiveness on your part is going to sever your supply line. These are things that you can't afford to have happen in your life. Any army that's clever, any leader of an army that's clever, is going to constantly look for ways to make sure his supply line cannot be interrupted. Because soldiers don't march on empty stomachs. And you know what? Christians don't do very well when they're out of fellowship with God. And as the Lord reveals something to you and what we're speaking of, I I would encourage you. I would plead with you. Deal with it. God does not make dealing with sin hard. He does not make it difficult. He does not make it impossible. You may not be able to, but he knew you wouldn't be able to. He sent his Holy Spirit to enable you to be able to do what he's telling you to do. So when God shows you something that needs to be dealt with, don't just look at it and say, oh, I wish. Deal with it. By God's grace, come before him, get on your face and say, Lord, I want your way. I want you. I want the supply line open, but Lord, I am not able. Will you work in me? And he will. He will work in you. But let's look to him to do it. All right, now we're going to see, we're going to, we're going to read our text and we're going to identify our verse. And then what we'll do is we'll pray, right? <clears throat> So, James chapter 4, we're reading from verse 1, and we're going to read down to verse 8. James 4. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lusts at war in your members? Ye lust, and ye have not, ye kill, and ye desire to have, and ye cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it, Upon your own, upon your lusts. That's our text there today. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, then you may consume it upon your own lusts. Selfish prayer will actually hinder your prayer. It will break your prayer line. When your life is not directed towards God, but your life is directed towards you, it's going to come between you and answered prayer. It's going to come between you and God. 
Uh, let's read on in the passage and show you how. Uh, verse 4, ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore would be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do you think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Father, would you bless us this morning as we look to your word. Lord, we desperately need your help. We need your hand. We need your power upon us. Lord, we look at the hindrances uh, to prayer, and we recognize our enemy is a formidable foe, and Lord, we are no match for him. But, oh, Lord, we rest in you because you're more than a match for him. Now, Lord, we look to you today, Lord, would you help us? Would you help us to identify where our hearts are drawn to the world and and areas that would hinder uh, our prayer life and hinder the supply line? And, Lord, may you be glorified in us as we yield to you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let let me put it this way. I mean, chapter 4 is the classic chapter dealing with worldliness. The friendship of the world is enmity with God. And worldliness is the love of the world. Now, it's not the love of the, you know, the sphere, the love of the earth, the love of the soil. Uh, It's the love of the world system. It's the love of the world system, what it has and what it can offer you and what it can do for you. It's getting to you to the place where what you're doing is you're focused upon the world and the things of the world and not the things of God. Now, God's very clear with us here. He, he's, you know, it's not like, you know, we tend to think, well, you know, sometimes, some days I'm on fire and some days I'm not so on fire. You know, some days I'm really walking with God and other days I'm not walking with God. God actually draws a line for you. He says, either you're loving me or you're loving the world, one or the other. Choose. You know, it's not a kind of, there's no halfway mark. There's no marker where I'm in between. You either love God or you love the, um, the world. You're either walking with God or you're walking against him because you're loving the world. You know, it really is that serious with God. And God says, if you're loving the world, if you're walking the world with the world, if, if the world is your focus and the world is your goal and the world is your aim, you can't have answered prayer. He says, choose, because you can't have me and the world. You can't have my way and the world's way. You can't have both. You've got to make a choice in your life. And do you realize that that's exactly what we do? We make a choice in our lives. Either we choose to go his way or we choose to go the world's way. But we can't have it both ways. Don't we want to? We want to have it both ways. We want to be able to have the world and have the Lord at the same time. And it's impossible for us. You see, we want those supply lines open. We want to be walking with our God. We want to be in fellowship with him. We want his power in our lives. We want his blessing upon our lives. But he says, you've got to make a choice. You see, there really is no middle ground for the Christian. The, the middle ground is the area of defeat for the Christian. And, and, and that's why some of you are defeated, because you've chosen the middle ground. You know, you can't choose the middle ground and survive. What happens is you get washed away in it. Because God wants you. He has a purpose for your life. He has a plan for your life. It's a good purpose, and he loves you, and his plan is good. But you know what? He never forced anyone to follow his way. He doesn't do that. What he does to you is he says, listen, here's my plan. It's good. I'll bless you. You can look at it and say, but I can't. And he'll say, listen, I'll help you. I'll enable you. But I'm not able. That doesn't matter. You, you just walk with me and I'll show you. I will lead you through it. And he can lead you through it. He can show you the way forward in it. But there really is no choice in it. The choice is either for him or against him. You know, Christianity is not a multiple choice 
question. Don't you like those multiple choice questions? Some of you do. Uh, in tests, you get a multiple choice question. You know, listen, you got a one in four chance of being right, even if you know nothing, all right? Uh, Christianity is not multiple choice. Either you choose God or you choose against him. Jesus said, you cannot love God and mammon. He that is not for me is against me in that sense. You can't have it both ways. And we want to, but it's impossible. So what we need to do is, if we want to keep those supply lines open in our lives, what we have to do is we have to recognize that we have to come all the way out on his side. Now you say, but I'm not able. You say, but I fail. Look, he understands that you and I are not perfect. He understands that you and I fail. But you know what? The direction, the focus of your life has got to be one direction and one direction only. That's got to be where you're going. And when it's not, and you're kind of pulled this way and that way, listen, the picture is dreadful. Well, the Bible says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. That's not a pretty picture, is it? Yeah, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways because you don't know which way you're going to uh, go. You're not, not, not sure which way uh, is the right way for you, so you're double-minded and you're unstable uh, in all your ways. Uh, the Bible says that because the Laodicean church were lukewarm, you know, Jesus doesn't say, I won't have anything to do with you. He says, I will spew you out of my mouth. Very graphic picture there for you. You know, just like the idea, you know, you're, you're thirsty and you take water and you realize you've taken the water from the hot tap and you've just turned it on. It's not hot and it's not cold. It's lukewarm. Oh, isn't that awful? That's what Jesus says. He says that when we're lukewarm, he will spew us out of his mouth. See, there's no middle ground for him. He doesn't recognize the middle ground that we want to recognize. You know, I'm not going to go all the way out for him, but I'm not going to go all the way to the world either. I'm going to stand in the middle ground. You know what happens? You always end up in the world. You always end up in the world because he's not going to have it. He's not going to have any truck with that middle ground. Uh, He doesn't believe in it, you might say. So here's the deal. What God is calling you to do is he's calling you to a life that is focused upon him. Now, that's very reasonable. That really is reasonable. You think about it for a moment. What did it cost him to buy you? His son. It cost a lot. It cost the most valuable thing in heaven. There was nothing more valuable that he could put down to buy you back from sin and death and hell than his son. And he willingly gave his son for God. So loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He gave his son willingly so that he might have you for himself. So that he might redeem you from sin and hell. And you know, what happened was he entered into a relationship with you on that day. He entered into a relationship that, you know, at verse 6, if you look back at verse 6 in James, uh, it kind of gives you an indication. Sorry, verse 5. Do you think that the scripture saith in vain the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? Those are strong words. And every word in the scripture is inspired. That God lusts to envy. That listen, there is a passion in his heart for you. It's powerful. It's a wonderful thought to think that God should be that interested in me. That God should be that interested in you. But he is. You know, those are love words. The passion for you is so great. God wants you. He bought you. He wants you to be his. It's that great. 
He wants that relationship with you to be clear and unhindered and he won't suffer anything to come between it, you and him. So that when, when that happens, <clears throat> when you allow something to come between you and him, you've got a problem. It's not like God says, oh well, you know those people in Life Gate Bible Baptist Church, you know there's some of them going on and some of them are just kind of hanging in there and some of them are going to the world. Listen, God looks at you and he looks at the direction of your heart. Where's your heart going? Where's your heart directed? Is it all out for him or is it for the world? If it's for the world, if it's not all out for him, you've got trouble. You really do because he wants it to be all out for him. He loves you so much, he's not willing to let you go. Listen, let me give you an illustration. It's kind of a, a, a hard illustration for us to take in. If we find a man uh, who's married to a woman and um, she's, she, 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 she's off in an affair with another man and he doesn't care, what do we say about the man? We say, that's pretty sad, isn't it? He's not much of a man. We would expect him to love his wife enough to be upset to deal with the situation, wouldn't we? And we, that would reflect upon the man. Listen, Jesus has espoused you, betrothed you to his father. That you're going to be married to him. And he will not suffer you to go to the world. you got trouble. You can't have it both ways. You can't be between. What he wants is, he wants you to understand that your life is about him. It's not about you. It's not about you having your own way and doing your own thing. It's about him. It's about God's plan. It's about God's love for you. It's about his relationship with you. The most important thing that ever happens to any human being in this world, and it's interesting when people talk about the most important thing that ever happened to them. You, you, you hear people saying when a baby is born and they're in, in their home, that was the most important thing that ever happened to them. Listen, the baby's born in your home is a fantastic blessing, but it's not the most important thing that ever happened to you. The day you got married is not the most important thing that ever happened to you. And I'm sorry to, you know, to, uh, to go against all the romance and everything else. The most important thing that ever happened to you, bar none, is the day you said to Jesus Christ, yes, please. And you were born again. That's the most important thing that ever happened to you. That's the most important thing that can ever happen to a human being. That's when the penalty for your sin is taken away. You become a child of God and you're on your way to heaven. That's the most important thing, bar none. And you need to understand that that, that that relationship requires a response on your part. It requires you to live in a certain way. Now, because God doesn't force us to, and he allows us to live our own lives and do our own thing, we tend to think, so what? But understand, the Spirit lusteth to envy because of the way you live. That's trouble. All right? <clears throat> Now, here's what we want to do this morning. We, we, we want to look at our prayer lives. And here's what I want to do. I, I want to basically look at the Lord's Prayer. And I want to ask you some questions about it. Now, it's Sunday morning, so I'm not going to have you answer them. I'm going to put, put you the questions. I'm going to ask you the questions, and we're going to look at these things. But turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. What we're doing with... The Lord's Prayer this morning is we're going to make it a checklist for where we are with God. We'll read from the beginning of the chapter, 
um, down to verse 15, because I want to point out a couple of things to you in the beginning, because it's dealing here with motive. Right? Take heed that you do not your alms before men to be seen of them, otherwise you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward." And what the Pharisees would do is they would have a trumpet sound before they put their money to draw attention to them so that as they were giving their offering, everybody knew here he is being very holy and very spiritual and he's giving his money to the Lord. And they would let everybody know. Notice what Jesus says. He says, they have their reward. They wanted the glory of men and they have it. They got it. It's over. It's done. It doesn't mean anything to me. Right? But when thou doest thine arms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine arms may be in secret, and that thy father which seeth in secret himself shall open, shall reward thee openly. Now, let me say this. Uh, it's talking about the motive of your heart. If the motive of your heart, if the reward you're seeking is that people think you're wonderful for all you're giving, and you get it, then that's it. You've had your reward. There's no more from God. It's not talking about maybe somebody sees you putting money in the in, in the offering. That doesn't matter. That's not the issue. The issue is the motive of your heart. Is it to please man? Is it a worldly motive? Is it, do you want to be looked on well by man? All right. Um, verse 4, that thine arms may be in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. Verse 5, uh, and when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily, I say unto you that they have their reward. When you pray, do you pray so that other people will notice? Again, you see, here we have a quite incredible thought. Here we have people giving money to God, and we have people praying to God, and Jesus is saying it's worldly. It's worldly because the love of the world, the applause of man, is driving it. And if the applause of man drives your religion, and I call it religion because I think it's more religion then than it is actually a relationship with God. If the, if the love of man and the, the love of applause drives your religion, God says, listen, you have your reward. There's nothing else for you. You're just doing it to be seen of man. You're seen of man, and that's it. It, it, it doesn't count. It's actually worldliness. It's not something that God wants or God enjoys at all. Um, Verse 6, But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father, which is in secret, and thy Father, which seeth in secret, shall reward thee openly. By the way, you can't go far in the Bible without coming across the reality that God is a rewarder. You can't, because that's who he is. God is. God is a rewarder. He's always rewarding. Uh, he's always doing things for reward. So that w- when we're in a relationship with God, there are definitely going to be rewards and benefits in it. Right? But our prime motive for going after God is not rewards. That's not to be our motive. Our prime motive for going after God is not so that we can get earthly things. You know, there are a lot of churches that teach what's called a prosperity gospel. And the basic idea is this. If you give to God, God will give back to you and he will give more. So you give to get more. It's worldly. It's not spiritual. It's worldly. But what it is is, you know, it's a, it's, it's, it's a bit like going into Patty Powers to place a bet. But, you know, you've know, you got better odds on this one. And, and honestly, that, 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 that's what it is. That, that, that's what, you're, what they're being asked to do. And people are falling for it all the time. And they're doing it. You know, listen, it's, it, it's worldly. Listen, you give to God. 
because you love God and you want Him in your life and you want His blessing in your life. Listen, He will reward you. He will bless you. Because He's not capable of not rewarding you and blessing you. That's who He is. But you're not giving to get. You're, you're giving because you've got a love relationship going on. You're giving gifts to the one that loves you and the one that you love. And you're, you're not looking for rewards, right? <clears throat> um, Verse 7, but when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. That's an interesting thought. We're not going to spend much time on that today. God knows everything you need before you ask him. Why pray? Because he told you to pray. Why pray? Because you need to pray. Why pray? Because that's the sweetest times in your life. But he wants you uh, to pray. But he doesn't want you to pray vain repetition. Now, vain repetition would be the idea of praying words over and over and over again. Uh, you know, you may have been in some religious service, and by the way, it's common to most religions, uh, but you may have been in some uh, religious service where there was vain repetition of words over and over and over and over again. And listen, God says, don't, 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 that's what the heathen do. You don't want to be praying vain repetition. When it comes to your prayer life, there needs to be a heart engagement. There needs to be a reality to it. Praying is not going through your shopping list for the week. Praying is not telling God what you need. He already knows what you need. Praying is a much greater and deeper thing than that. Now listen, does God want you to bring your needs to him? Of course he does. There's no harm in that. God's God. God knows your needs, but he wants you to bring them to him. But when it comes to praying... Praying is not about you telling God about your needs. I, um, let, let, let me pose you a question here, right? <clears throat> did, did, did you ever have a telephone conversation or uh, a person-to-person conversation where you couldn't get a word in edgeways? <laughs> where somebody else did all the talking, <clears throat> You know, you, you listen, you had a lot you wanted to say, uh, but you never got to say any of it. And you went away feeling used. You, you went away feeling like, you know what? I, well, I could have a paper cutout of me here and it wouldn't matter. They could just talk just as well to the paper cutout as they could to me. You know, listen, that's frustrating to us, isn't it? That's not something that we enjoy. We feel taken. We feel like we've lost something. Here's the question for you. How often do you come to God like that? Like God's got nothing to say in this situation. I know what I want. I know what I need. And I'm going to tell God what I want and what I need. And he needs to hear it. And, you know, we, we go through the list. We talk through the things. And, you know, we we step up from it and, and we walk away. I read a fascinating skit this week. I was almost going to bring it to you. Uh, but the skit was this. Uh, I'll tell you. the it's, it's basically a girl going to prayer. But on this instance, God answered her. Right? And um, as she began to pray, and you know what? He messed up her whole prayer. Because he kept asking her questions about what she was praying about. You know, he kept bringing the, bringing the things, uh, bringing thoughts to her. And he was, he was cutting across her prayer life. And it was not what she wanted at all. She wanted to do her prayer thing and, and move on. I wonder how often we're like that. That we want to do the prayer thing and, and move on. And don't interrupt me. I've got a lot to say here. But we're not listening for what God has to say. You see, prayer is communion. Yeah, there's the asking and the receiving. That's, that's definitely part of it. But prayer is communion. Now, I want to just demonstrate that for, for you briefly from the Lord's Prayer here, right? 
Verse 9, after this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father. First question for you is, is he your Father? Right? <clears throat> you know, John 1.12 says, to as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to as many as believed upon his name. You know what? He doesn't become your Father until you receive him, until you believe upon his name, until you come to the place where you put your trust in him, where you depend upon him. You're a sinner. You deserve hell. Jesus died to pay the price for your sin. And when you put your trust in him, when you depend upon him, he becomes your father. You receive him as your savior. He becomes your father then. You know, you know listen, right off the, uh, off the mark, when it comes to praying the Lord's Prayer, we can't pray it unless we've been born again. Because our relationship with him uh, is spiritual, and we're dead spiritually until the point where we actually uh, become his children, where we're born again. So you need to be born again before you can pray. All right. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Holy is your name. Holy is your being. Holy is who our God is. You know what? If he's my father, I'm part of a family, aren't I? You're the prime characteristic of the family that I'm a part of. Prime characteristic is holiness. That's just the way it is. Now listen, you can cut it any way you like. You can try and uh, <clears throat> do anything you like with it. But if our Heavenly Father is holy, the question is, are you? Shouldn't we have a family resemblance? Shouldn't we live holy lives? Shouldn't we be separate from sin? Doesn't the fact that we recognize that our Father is holy indicate that there should be something going on in our lives that makes us holy too? That we should be separate from sin, that we should be separate from the world, that we should be walking differently to the world. Now, isn't it kind of foolish for us to pray, hallowed be thy name, and live a life that's totally in opposition with that? Live a life that's going a different direction to that? I... <clears throat> Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, everybody wants God's will done on earth. We would sure like him to come and clean up the mess, wouldn't we? We would, come, we would love him to come and sort it all out and sort out the problems in our lives and sort out the difficulties in our lives and sort out all the other people that are causing us problems. But, you know, here's a question. If we're praying for his will to be done on earth, is his will being done in your life? Is his will being accomplished in your life. Do you know who's in control of that? Nobody else bar you. The only one that can control whether his will is accomplished in your life or not is you. Is his will being accomplished in your life? Isn't it kind of foolishness for us to pray when we're not really wanting his will done in our lives? Listen, do you have an area in your life where you know his will for you is different to what you want. And you're, they used to call that in the olden days, they used to say you had a controversy with God. That God wanted something of you and you didn't want the same thing, so you had a controversy. You, you, know, you didn't want to do his will. God wants you to do his will. God wants you to live your life his way, doing his will. And isn't the truth that, listen, if we're not living his will and doing it his way and willing to... Let him have his will in our lives. You know, in all honesty, we're not going in the right direction with our prayer life. Listen, we've got to be yielded to his will. You see, ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss that ye may consume it upon yourselves. 
What we're doing sometimes is we're coming to prayer and instead of saying, now, Lord, my life is yours. I want whatever you want. Lord, you just show me and, Lord, that's what I want to. I may not be able because, Lord, I'm, uh, I'm frail. But, Lord, I love you and I want you to have your way in my life. And if you just lead me, I'm going. I'm going to do it. You see, now we're getting in the right place for prayer. Now we're getting in the place, you know, where, where, where something's happening between us and God. And when we're not there, we may be spouting words. But, you know, the truth is, we're bound on our own way, bound on doing our own thing anyway. All right, let's, let, let's move on here quickly. Um, <clears throat> give us this day our daily bread. You know what? I would doubt that there's anybody in this room that lacks food for today. You know, I would think all of us have probably enough food for several days. Might not be exactly the food we want for today, because we're very particular, but I would think we have food for several days in our homes. And you know, the one request in the Lord's Prayer for me is, give me this day my daily bread. That's the only temporal request for me in the whole thing. Now, This is to be the pattern of prayer. In all the things that are being asked here, I'm only getting one, he's only, he's only leading me to ask for one thing. And and why he's leading me to ask is kind of hard because it's just for today. Now, I'd feel a whole lot more secure if I had enough money in the bank for this next month. If I had six months money or a year's money or ten years money or enough money for the rest of my life, I'd feel a whole lot more secure uh, altogether. But what he's saying to me is, I want you to trust me to take care of you today. Doesn't mean I'm not to plan. Doesn't mean I'm not to be wise and good steward of what he gives me. But here's the deal. The deal is I'm supposed to be asking him to take care of me today. And the honest truth for us is we're well taken care of for today. We want to be taken care of for tomorrows that go a long way out. But that's the one request where I'm allowed to focus on myself and my, on my need. And it's almost something that's kind of thrown over your shoulder. Lord, just give, give, give us this day or daily, but just take care of us today, Lord. Right. Um, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now, let me skip on down to verse 14. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, we looked at this last week. We're not going to go over it again. But here's the deal. If you won't forgive, your prayer life stops. And it doesn't matter what they've done on you. It doesn't matter how badly they've hurt you. It doesn't matter how wronged you've been. If you won't forgive, your prayer life stops. Jesus put this in the Lord's Prayer, in that basic little pattern that most of us have known since we were children. Listen, he put it in there, you've got to forgive. If there's somebody this morning in your life that you won't forgive, you have a problem. You may not have recognized it yet, but the supply line's down. The supply line is down because you've got to forgive, and it doesn't matter what they do. And I recognize there are people in this room, and listen, you may have been hurt in ways I could never fathom. But that doesn't matter. You've got to forgive. You've got to release them and set yourself free. That's what you've got to do. You've got to release them because you can't hold on to it. Verse 13, And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. How big a part of our lives is that? Lord, don't lead me into temptation. 
And if I'm honestly praying, Lord, don't lead me into temptation, do you think I might be minded to avoid temptation in my life? To avoid those things that might pull me down? To kind of walk circumspectly so that I wasn't walking into situations that were going to tear me down? You see, here's the thought for us. When it comes to praying, God wants to hear our prayers. But praying is not a one-way street. Lord, give me this, and you know, Lord, I need that, and Lord, I need that, and Lord, help me with that, and Lord, i got this problem, and Lord, this other person's got this. That's not what prayer is. Prayer is communion with God. Prayer is me actually talking to Him and letting Him talk to me. Prayer is me letting God get inside me and begin to change what's happening in there. It's like a remote computer hookup. You know, you can remotely log into a computer and you can actually do something on the other person's computer. Talking to a guy in the States and he was, there, there was a backup program that we were buying for the church. And, um, uh, this guy said, okay, put this password in and put this password in and put this password in. So I did exactly what I was told. And all of a sudden the mouse on my screen was moving around. Some guy somewhere in the U.S. was actually doing things on my computer. It was kind of freaky. <clears throat> he was able to change things on my computer, right? You know, listen, when we get praying and we connect with God, what we're doing is we're letting God in there to start changing things around, to start turning things around, to start redirecting us and getting us going his direction. You see, here's the thing. We're so focused on all the things we need. Lord, I need this and I need that and I need that. God knows what you need before you even ask. And you know what my experience of life has been? Not only does God know what I need, but he knows better than I do what I need, and he's more than able to supply it, and does regularly. And the most exciting prayers that I have had answered are the ones that I never prayed, because I didn't know to pray them, and God answered them before it ever got to that point. <clears throat> God brought the, uh, God met the need. Now, here's the thing we we got to understand: when it comes to prayer, it's not me getting my will done in heaven. Prayer is me connecting, communing with my Heavenly Father so that He can get His will done in me, done in this world. And you know what I find? When He's having His way in my life, it's good. Everything's good. Everything's working. Everything I need is there because He's having His way in my life. And you know what? When we give up on our way, and we give up on the friendship of the world, and we give up on wanting Him to come to our party, and we surrender, and we yield ourselves, and we come to Him in prayer, and we start saying, Now, Lord, Your glory is what really matters here. Or You're holy, and I want to be holy. Lord, forgive me for my sin, and Lord, I want to be holy. Help me to be holy. Lord, I want Your will done in my life. Because, Lord, I want your will done in this world, but I want it done in my life. Lord, would you help me? Would you put your hand upon me? Would you lead me and guide me? Because I'm willing, Lord. I just need power. And we start praying his way. You know what? The bread flows. And everything else that we need flows. Because we're right in the right place with God. But when we're not in the right place with God, when we're doing our own thing, going our own way, when the love of the world is an issue for us, when walking our own way is really what's on our minds and on our hearts, and so often it is, you know, when we're doing even spiritual things, but we're doing the spiritual things so that the world can see and recognize how wonderful we are. Oh, listen, we're in trouble. Because God says, 
I want you to just open up your heart and let me have my way. There are some things we need to fix in there, but don't worry about it. I can help you. I can, I can do it. If you let me, I can fix them. I can, I, I can work them out. You can't, but I can. You just invite me in. You just let me have my way in your life and I'll fix them. And life begins to work. Because you know what said in James? God resists the proud. The proud person who knows best, who wants to have it their own way, and is going to do it their way. God stands against them. Now listen, if God's standing against you, you ain't going nowhere. He doesn't let you go anywhere. But when you surrender, when you say, Lord, forget my plans, forget my way, forget my dreams, forget all of it, Lord, all of it's just nonsense, Lord. What we need here, Lord, is I need to be in line with your will. I need you to rearrange what's in there so that I can delight to do your will and I can delight to go your way and I can want your way and I can give up on my way. You know what? Supernatural things begin to happen in our lives. Things that we couldn't dream of begin to happen in our lives. Because God's got a plan. It's a good plan. God's plan for your life is far superior to anything you will ever dream up. God's blessing in your life is far superior to anything you could hope or wish for. But he wants you to yield to him and let him have his way in it. He wants you to say, okay, Lord, here's my heart. You rearrange it. You work it out. You show me what to do, and Lord, I'm doing it. Lord, <clears throat> whether I feel like doing it or not, not, not the issue, Lord, I'm, I'm doing it because that's what you want. And you know what happens? When I'll do his will because that's what he's want, all of a sudden I feel like doing his will. It's amazing. Once I let him begin to do the rearranging, once I surrender to him, he begins to do a work. Now look, we're slow. Sometimes it takes him a while to do it. But he will be faithful. You know, faithful is he that has called you. He that hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Listen, you, you can shut him off, you can shut him down, you can stop him, but you know what? If you'll let him, he'll take you through it and he'll do something wonderful in your life. He's got a wonderful plan for your life, not based upon your background, not based upon where you are today, not based upon your potential, not based upon your brilliance, not based upon your looks, not based upon uh, your talents, based upon his ability to take and do something in your life. The only question for us is, will you get out of the way and let him? Will you yield to him and let him do his work in your life? Give up on your plans your ideas, your dreams, your goals, your ambitions, and say, Lord, whatever you want. What you're going to find is, you're going to find that the sweetest, happiest, most productive days of your life begin at that point. That's bow for prayer. Father in heaven, we come to you this morning and we do thank you, Lord, for a people who love you enough this morning to be in church and who want your will in their lives enough, Lord, to come and to hear your word. But, oh, Lord, even though we come, Lord, sometimes our hearts are far from you. Sometimes our hearts are cold, Lord. Sometimes we're occupied with our own ways. Sometimes we're coming so that you'll bless our ways. Now, oh, blessed Spirit of the living God, you know the need of each heart here this morning. Lord, would you bless? Because, Lord, we know that our lives mean nothing apart from you and that our way is nothing apart from your way. And we know that you have the plan, not us. Now, Lord, would you bless in this time of invitation? And would you move in hearts and would you draw us to you, Lord, 
so that hearts might be broken, so that sin might be yielded, so that lives might be surrendered, and so that your will might be done. In Jesus' name.